from God's word. Another one of the Psalms, this time Psalm number 20. Psalm number 20. It's found on page 553. So Psalm number 20, page 553. We're going to read the whole psalm together. It's a song that was written by King David, Israel's greatest king. That's all we know about the psalm. We don't know when he wrote it. We don't know what events exactly it is referring to. But it is a psalm of David. So Psalm 20, let's read God's word together. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Selah. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Well, we will be returning to this portion of scripture very soon. Before we do, back to the passage we were just in. Psalm number 20. Psalm 20, found on page 553. sure that most of you have watched the news at some point in the run-up to war. You've seen the maps of the conflict area. You have listened to the military experts and probably you have seen footage from the barracks as the soldiers get ready to fly to war. And if you have seen these news reports, even though you live thousands of miles away from the conflict, 
you get a sense, don't you, of what it's like to be involved. It's tense. It's uncertain. It's frightening. I think that is how we could describe Psalm number 20. The atmosphere in this psalm is thick with war. The nation of Israel has a crisis. King David is about to lead his men and march onto the battlefield. I want you to try and picture what it's like inside Israel's camp. Everyone is talking about the war. People are asking all sorts of questions. Is the army really strong enough to win? What happens if we lose? What is the enemy going to do to us if David doesn't win? You can maybe imagine how busy it is as the clock ticks down to the fight. You have soldiers sharpening their swords. You have generals discussing tactics and barking out orders. It's hectic. It's busy. And yet, in the midst of all of this scrambling around, there's something really remarkable in this psalm. People, the soldiers as well, they stop and they meet for prayer. If there's one thing that these people want to do before going on to the battlefield, it's to ask for God's help. That's important for us to know. In the mornings we've been thinking with the children about the armour of God. We've been thinking about how we are at war, how we are part of the biggest war of them all. How either we are believers and so we are in God's side, or we're not believers and we're fighting against God. And this psalm shows us what a Christian soldier looks like. More specifically, it shows us how to pray as soldiers of Jesus Christ. So we want to take two lessons from this psalm. Two steps that we should take as we pray as a part of this war. So firstly, pray for the advance of Christ's kingdom. Pray for the advance of Christ's kingdom. It's the eve of battle. The soldiers put down their swords. The generals stop shouting orders. Everybody huddles together and the adrenaline is pumping. And as it pumps, the men cry out in prayer. Verse 9. O Lord, save the king. Lord, protect David as he goes to battle. Lord, keep the king safe. 
when you think about it. That's very surprising, isn't it? This is a time of extreme danger for all the people. And yet, as they pray, where is their focus? It's not on the army. It's not on the women and the children who are going to be left behind. Their prayers focus on one man. And the reason for this is verse 6. Notice how David is described in the first line of that verse. He is the Lord's anointed. David is not an ordinary man. David has been anointed by God to rule on his behalf. David has been set aside to represent the people. David is God's instrument for advancing his kingdom. And so, when David goes to war, he is fighting not just for himself, but on behalf of all of Israel. And more than that, on behalf of God himself. God uses David to protect his people. He uses David to judge his enemies. And so the hopes of this entire nation are bound up in this one man. And so... Is it any wonder in verse 9 that this prayer soars? Lord, save the king. Protect David. Keep him safe. So they pray for David's safety. But there's more to this prayer than just David's safekeeping. Verse 4, for example. Lord, Give David the desires of his heart. Make all of David's plans succeed. Some of you have been at the Bible studies on a Wednesday evening. You've been looking at the life of David. If you have been at those, do you remember the great description that God gives of David in the Old Testament? He is a man after God's own heart. In other words, the desires of David's heart and the desires of God's heart are exactly the same. And so when the people pray, verse 4, they're praying this. Lord, use David to cause your plans to succeed. Use David to give you the desires of your heart. You see, ultimately, this psalm isn't about David. This psalm is about God. It's about God's rule, God's honour and God's glory. As David goes to war, that is what's at stake. So it's a psalm that's about God. But in a very special way, 
It's a psalm that is about God the Son. Because Jesus, even more than David, is the anointed one that we see in verse 6. Jesus is the king of verse 9 that David points us forward to. Jesus is the one who rules God's kingdom. Jesus is the one who protects God's people. Jesus is the one who judges God's enemies. And so, when we sing this psalm, we're not just singing about David. We are singing about King Jesus. Now, do you see why that is important? It means this psalm isn't just for the nation of Israel. This is a battle anthem for the whole Christian church. This is your song if you're a Christian. It's your song when you go to war. It's your prayer as you go about your life. As Christians, we're to pray in the spirit of this psalm. Lord, as I fight in battle, as I face temptation, as I'm confronted by trials, give King Jesus the desires of his heart. Make all of his plans succeed. We pray in this psalm that King Jesus will keep on advancing his rule. I wonder, like me, do you struggle to pray? Do you find it difficult to stick at it? Does it seem at times like a bit of a chore? Well, do you see how this psalm encourages us when we feel like that? It shows us prayer isn't mainly about us. Prayer is all about the king. It's about the one in this psalm, Jesus Christ, who fights and who rules forever. That means when we pray, far from doing something mundane, we are taking part in something that is really, really big. We pray for the advance of Christ's kingdom. Practically speaking, there are several different ways in which we do this. We pray for our fellow soldiers. We pray for Christians who are under attack for their faith. We echo the words of verse 1. Lord, answer them in their day of trouble. Protect them. We pray for our fellow soldiers here in the congregation. We pray like verse 2. Lord, Send them support from Zion. We pray for that Christian whose workplace is full of backbiting and gossip. We pray 
for that pupil who faces constant temptation at school. We pray for that believer who gets so discouraged because her family don't yet believe. We pray that God will send support and that through them God will advance Christ's kingdom. Let me ask, what about you? Are you a faithful soldier when it comes to doing this? Suppose someone was to put you on the spot and they were to ask you, see that person in the next row. What sort of pressures do they have to face in daily life? Would you be able to answer? Would you know it instinctively because of the time that you have spent supporting them in prayer? Or would you struggle to give an answer? We pray for other believers. And then as well as that, we pray for ourselves. We pray that the King, King Jesus, will work through us. And there's a verse in this psalm that I find really encouraging. It's verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all of your plans succeed. Don't forget, this psalm is about David and ultimately it is about Jesus. The question is, what is the heart's desire of King Jesus for you and for many of you it is the same desire that you have in your own heart he wants you to be more like him do you for example struggle to be patient it is the heart's desire of king jesus that you develop patience do you struggle to love other christians or maybe to love one christian in particular it's the heart's desire of king jesus that you love just like he does do you struggle to think pure thoughts it's the heart's desire of king jesus that you be holy just as he is holy. So this evening perhaps you are struggling to stamp out some particular sin. I want you to be encouraged by this psalm. Because when we pray, we are not simply praying for ourselves. We are praying that God the Father will grant the heart's desires his very own son so surely that gives us confidence as we go to war surely in spite of the temptations and the attacks 
that we face. Surely God the Father will grant the desires of his only Son. So the first lesson from this psalm. Pray for the advance of Christ's kingdom. And secondly, rejoice in the advance of Christ's kingdom. Rejoice in the advance of Christ's kingdom. Do you notice what happens in verse 6? The whole atmosphere of the psalm suddenly changes. These soldiers have been pleading with God to spare David. They have been so passionate as they have cried out for victory. And then verse 6. There's a hush. Up until now everyone has been calling out. And now one man speaks. gets up on the stage and he addresses the people and the message that this man brings is certain verse 6 now I know that the Lord saves his anointed this battle hasn't even started. It looks to everyone in the camp like the war is on a knife edge and yet for this man it's completely certain. I'm borrowing or adapting this illustration from someone else. I think it really helps us to understand what's going on in this psalm. Last year during the Olympics in London I watched the final of the 100 metres. I remember watching the athletes getting pumped up for the race. I remember listening to the pundits as they talked about what was going to happen. They said, it's going to be fast. It's going to be close. We have no idea who is going to win this race. And then I watched carefully as the starting gun went. I watched as the runners burst from the blocks and there were two men neck and neck for most of the way. Looked like either one of these men could win until at last Usain Bolt pulls away and wins the race. It was brilliant. It was a really Top quality race. And yet, at no point was I on the edge of my seat. At no point did I get even remotely excited. The reason is, it was the day after the race. I already knew the result. There was no doubt in my mind whatsoever who was going to win. Is that something of what's going on in verse 
6. This battle hasn't even started. And yet God has given this man, he's possibly one of the priests, a glimpse of the future. He's just like me, watching the Olympics. He knows David is going to win. Everything is going to be okay. And that changes the whole atmosphere of the psalm. Any tension that there was disappears. And instead we have this unswerving confidence. David is going to win. And surely if it's true of David. It must be true of King Jesus as well. Sometimes, as Christians, doesn't it seem like we're losing, or like we're fighting in a losing battle? Doesn't it seem like we're outnumbered? Like the gospel simply doesn't stand a chance? Doesn't it seem sometimes like the temptations that we face are so, so overwhelming? It seems hopeless. And yet, like verse 6, we already know the final result. All of the opposition to Jesus Christ is going to be crushed. So let me ask you, have you experienced this resolute confidence of verse 6? When you have thought about the state of the church or the state of the world, as you have been confronted with problems and with temptations, has your trust been rock solid? Or has it been rather flimsy? Could it be that we're more anxious and more pessimistic than we need to be simply because we are not clinging on to God's promises about the future. These men clung on to God's word and God's word, the promises that he gave them, gave them strength. And surely we as Christians have even more reason to trust. Like I say, some of you have been studying the life of David. And as you did that, we don't know when this psalm was written in his life. But don't you see this prayer being answered again and again? Don't you see God constantly coming to David's rescue? Better still, we can turn forward to the New Testament and we can see God answering this prayer for the greatest king of all, for Jesus Christ. Don't we see in the Gospels, just like verse 1, Jesus facing distress and trouble. We see Jesus facing the horror of Gethsemane and the anguish of the cross 
surely as Jesus prayed. This is what he prayed for himself. And as we read the Gospels, don't we see God giving his answer? He gives Jesus strength. He sustains him. He gives him victory at the cross. And then, once the battle has been won, once Jesus has defeated the enemy by his death, God raises up the king and sets him at his right hand. So we can pray these words with great confidence. Because we have seen it being answered again and again. Do you see why this psalm is so important? We are soldiers in Christ's army. Just like the Israelites in David's day, the king's victory is also our victory. And I think we can see ourselves in verses 7 and 8. There's a lovely picture in these verses. I want you to go back in your mind to Israel's camp before the battle. Here's this tiny, insignificant nation. They are surrounded by great and powerful enemies. Countries with huge, vast armies. Look outside the camp. And what do you see? There's endless streams of chariots. There's men with great armour riding on horseback. There's soldiers Deadly soldiers, ready for carnage. And now, look inside Israel's camp. And what do you see in this psalm? Men who are down on their knees. Men in whom there is nothing even remotely Impressive. And yet, according to verse 8, when it comes to the battle, everything is turned upside down. Those proud soldiers in their mighty chariots, they are brought to their knees. They bow down. They tremble. They beg for mercy from the king of Israel. Those soldiers inside the camp who were the butt of all of the enemy's jokes, they, in verse 8, are raised up. Can you see yourself in this verse? Can you see the church in verse 8? Think, for example, of Christians who are persecuted. You've got a house 
somewhere in the middle of nowhere. It's in darkness. There's a group of Christians meeting together in fear for their lives. And outside the house is the secret police. They're ready to lock up this small group of Christians. They are ready to ruin their lives. And yet, according to verse 8, because of the victory of King Jesus, it's that frightened little group of Christians that is raised up. And that terrifying group of men from the secret police, they are brought to their knees. Or a bit closer to home. Imagine a young Christian at school. She is mocked by her classmates because she is not like them. Her teachers roll their eyes at her backward views. Being a Christian for this girl seems to bring nothing but misery and grief. And yet, verse 8, through the victory of King Jesus, she is the one who rises up and those people who scoff are brought to their knees. Or think of our greatest enemy of all. Think of Satan. Think of how he is so dogged, how he kicks us whenever we're dying. The hero of Psalm 20. That's Jesus, not David. The hero of this psalm brings Satan to his knees. He wins the war at the cross and then he goes on to stamp out the rebellion. And Satan, at the end of time, has no choice but to fall to his knees. To buy and to say, Christ is Lord and King. Again, do you see yourself in this psalm? Sometimes, don't we feel so weak? We're devastated as we make such a mess of things. Feels like it's all too much. If we believe the words of this psalm, then we know we are on the winning side. We share in this victory because we are raised up along with the king. And so, surely, our response should be what we see in verse 5 We will shout for joy when you are victorious. Our King, Jesus Christ, has won. Surely, we should be glad in our hearts. Surely, we should shout for joy, as in verse 5. Surely, as we sing this psalm in just a few minutes, we should be shouting and we should be praising from the bottom of our hearts as we reach this verse. We shout 
for joy. We rejoice in the advance of Christ's kingdom. In closing, at the heart of this psalm is a question of trust. Verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This question asks, or this psalm asks you, where is your trust? Because it may be that some of you are confident. And it may be that you have no right to be confident. Perhaps some of you are facing life in your own strength. Perhaps things are going pretty well. Verse 8. If your trust is not in the name of the Lord your God, you will be brought to your knees and you will fall. Israel, in this psalm, trusted in David. They knew that God would triumph through his anointed king. Let our trust this evening be not in King David, but in King Jesus. And when this final triumph arrives, when this king returns in judgment, let's make sure that we are all on the winning side. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where is your trust? Amen. Well, we're now going